This is Undivorce Wittable, the podcast made to divorce-proof marriages. I'm Giovanna. And I'm Rance. And, and we, we are, are the, the Robinsons. Robinsons. We've been rocking together for 18 years, married for 15 years. People tell us all the time that we inspire them. We are relationship goals. And it's not because we're famous or we're fronting for social media, but because they can tell that what we have is genuine. There have been ups, crazy downs, and moments where it would have been easy to just walk away. This is a no BS podcast. We're keeping it a buck. And we're telling you all the truth you can handle about what it takes to stay together in today's world. We, we are, are Undivorced Wittable. Undivorced Wittable checking in. It's Rance Rob, Rance Robinson here. I'm one of your co-hosts. And Giovanna Robinson. And um, this week, we are talking about, and we are going to delve into, and hopefully you're not looking to escape from, everything that's been going on in the country. Yeah. Not, around not the right world. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are deeply affected by it. And as a married couple, we really want to talk about it. Right. So the elephant in the room is the uh, George Floyd situation. So last week, on our last podcast, we touched on it slightly at the end of that podcast but we had no idea what the protests and everything would become and it's kind of taking on a role of a global phenomenon right now people all across the world are with us right there's people in germany that are protesting and marching on behalf of um paris black lives yes yeah i um do not no, I mean, I, we've been wanting to podcast. As a podcast, our goal is always to be a voice for marriage, a voice for... That's like what we set out to do. Um, we never set out to be anything other than a marriage podcast. But there's sometimes where there are situations that are such an enigma. Mm-hmm. We just got to gotta talk about it. And, and still, I mean, even though our podcast is about marriage... This does affect the marriage. It does affect married couples, um, black married couples. It really does, man, because I leave the house. I go to work. I do. I Most mornings I think about the possibility of never seeing y'all again because somebody had a bad day. Okay, so that's on top of the fact that when you're driving a vehicle that's made of a combustible engine and gas, um and fuel everything else that could possibly go wrong Uh, of course technology with vehicles things like that are different than they were years ago but i mean traffic accidents like anything can happen anything could happen but on top of that there's that extra added like what if i'm on a traffic stop Mm -hmm. and a cop is just having a bad day and i don't get to make it home to my wife i don't get to see my girls go on to do great things. I don't get to be in my son's life. Right. My brother loses the, basically the last immediate family member that he has. Cause our parents are gone. It's just me and him. Yo, mm-hmm. it's so much to think about. And then, you know, the George Floyd case, like so many others, Ahmaud Arbery, um, Brianna Taylor. There is just like, there's so many, you know, both of them, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice. I mean, the, the list, the list goes, goes on. on and on. And not even that, the unspoken names that exactly. never got press. Exactly. The names who were, the people who were lynched 
when segregation and Jim Crow was yes. still allowed in this country and sanctioned by local governments. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all of them, we're at a culminating moment. Right. We definitely are. And even with, you know, I think about that um, many mornings when I wake up because you leave the house so early in the morning and me and the children are usually still asleep. You know, I wake up like, did Rance make it to work today? You know, sometimes I'll just shoot you with the, hey, babe, or, you know, how are you? Good morning text. Right. And that's literally, truly, that's my way of checking in to make sure that you're okay, honestly. Um, and, and there's times mm-hmm. when if you don't come home by a certain time and I don't hear from you, mm-hmm. my mind goes there. Right. Because, you know, for us, it could be a tra- it could be something as simple as not using your turn signal to switch lanes mm-hmm. and your life can be taken from that. Like that's how serious it is for us in the black community. So a simple what can be seen as a simple traffic stop can become something so much more and so many people have become have had a hashtag attached to their name from what is just a simple traffic stop. Yep, and I think that uh, as time goes on, a lot of us realize, man, that could be us. That could be me mm-hmm. right there. Uh, I could be Philando Castile. I could be, you could be Sandra Bland mm-hmm. at any moment. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a lot to deal with. And so I've been doing things, you know, social media. I've been talking. I told a couple stories about the times that I got gotten um, arrested or whatever. Uh, one of those being when I was like nine years old in fourth grade mm-hmm. and it was, it was a detainment, but nonetheless I was in handcuffs and you were nine years old, right? In front of my classmates because somebody at a store told a, an officer that I stole something while I was on a field trip. Um, then of course I told a story about when I was 16 being put in the back of a police cruiser and by the Lansing Police Department, because that's where I spent uh, eight years of my adolescence. So uh, from eight to 16, mm-hmm. for the most part, kind of moved right when I turned 17. Um, I spent it there and they had me on a traffic stop and I heard them talking about the potential of planting drugs on me. So. And I've even been in that situation. I've been in the situation. I don't know. Have I ever told you this? I was put in the back of a police car. I'm not sure. I I feel like you was that with uh, one of the local police departments, Mifflin. Was that? It was um, Whitehall, actually. Okay. Um, my brother, my god brother, and my best friend at the time, we were all in the car. I was driving, and I had turned um, the corner into a neighborhood. Police officer was going. He was turning, making a left hand turn out of off the street i was making a right hand turn onto the street mm-hmm. and then i'm driving down the street you know minding my business and next thing i know i look up in the rearview mirror i see cop you know lights behind me mm-hmm. i pull into a driveway because it's a residential area and next thing i know two or two and three other cop cars are coming swarming us like i'm like what the world like i seriously right. just turned. i was pulled out my car and thrown into the back of the police car didn't know that didn't know that yeah and so but it could be any of us. It can. And you know what's so crazy about it is that the stories that I told are not 
It's not like it hasn't been experienced by millions of us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's what's so crazy is it's not an uncommon story. What it's you just not. said is is not uncommon. Where you know they ride down, swoop down, and it's not like they couldn't run your plates. It's not like they had you had warrants attached. Right. It's not like um, any of that happened. And so it's just like, man, if I leave home, and you know I try to I try to drive right. You know what I mean? Doing the speed limit, all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to be a, a very uh, defensive driver, but even then, it doesn't really matter. You know, we hear people talk about compliance all the time. If you just complied. Just complying doesn't work for us. Right. Because most times we just comply. George Floyd was complying. He was not putting up a fight. He wasn't putting up a fight. And here we are again in the nation dealing with the aftermath of seeing another black life taken at the hand of law enforcement. And so it feels different this time. It does. And I think it feels so different because we're already on edge. We're, the stress levels are already so high. Um, Mm-hmm. Just period around the world from coronavirus, you know, from the coronavirus, yep. um, from unemployment, different yes. things like that. That so many people are already dealing with, and then to have this happen, we're just tired. Yeah, we're we just tired. tired. You know, we're 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 tired, and there's no other way to just say it. It's just like we're tired. We're tired, and on top of that, the United States has the worst leadership right now. I mean, you. <laughs> the guy sitting in the White House is not even uh, able to string together some days of calm Mm-mm. to be a leader for the nation. Mm-mm. And he's just adding fuel to the fire. Fuel to the fire. I've, I've heard uh, multiple police officers from different parts of the country talk about how his inflammatory comments are not helping the situation. It's not. And of course, you know, he's doing things like quoting... Um, known KKK leaders Definitely. like one who was actually the chief of a police department in Miami back in the 60s mm-hmm. when the rioting when the when the looting starts the shooting starts right wow right so that just goes to show you how important this November is going to be because this November even we're not even voting about Republican versus Democrat right we're not, we're not. and that's if we get to the election because there's no telling with this guy for his thirst and love of power, the way that uh, you can kind of match some of the things he does with some of the world's most fascist leaders. Mm-hmm. They match up, you know, what was the recent thing yesterday standing out front of the famous church in Washington, D.C. holding a Bible. Mm-hmm. The way he was holding it, there was a picture of, I think, like him. Was it uh, Hitler? Um, Saddam Hussein? Like it, it literally matched. It looked like wow. It looked like he studied their photos so he could take the picture. Not only how he got there, you know, using the police to push out protesters with tear gas, and then the the church, the Episcopalian church, um, and I want to say it was St. John's or something like that. I'm not sure. I believe so. Um, <laughs> they had they were allowing people to be there to congregate there to talk, and the police department used tear gas to clear the way so he could do this photo out 
left the bishop of the Episcopalian Church absolutely livid. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. So I mean, this. So we don't even have good leadership. Um, you know, Moscow, Mitch, Mitch McConnell, all these people. You know, I can go real political with this and mm-hmm. talk about all of them, but I won't. But it's just like we don't have good leadership. So what do we do? We have to band together. We have to. We have to band together. You know, it's a shame that we're at this point, um, and so many people don't even understand. We we don't we don't um, condone the looting and everything. But people are so focused on the looting and not the problem at hand and why people have just got to the point of just being tired. Yep, and that's the sad thing is that uh, the looting is hijacking the cause. But what I think is happening is so many people are still able to snap into perspective what we're doing this for. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, we know that the looters, the majority of them are... um, who are damaging property, stuff like that. They're white Americans who are what I would call counter-protesters. They mm-hmm. are counter-protesting. They are coming in, sabotaging. It's basically COINTELPRO mm-hmm. for protests. Oh, I saw a picture of a Caucasian girl spray-painting a building. Starbucks. And um, there's police officers laughing and joking and telling her what to write oh yeah and they told her to write floyd on the building yep so you know but in this stuff like this is what's taking the attention away from the real problem because like you said it's not all of us right that's out here doing the looting and you know the the spray painting and all that it's not all of us yeah and you know the way i feel about it you can rebuild that may be a callous way to think about this but you know you can rebuild that you know who can't rebuild? Yeah. The Floyds. The Floyds can't rebuild. You can't rebuild a life. Right. They can't bring him back. He's in a no. funeral home. Yeah. They're prepping him because he's got to have a service. Yes. So, you know, while I feel, I do, I feel for people who own businesses and that's their livelihood. That's how they, how they eat. That's how they get money. That's how they feed their families. Mm-hmm. You know what? In the uh, words of the old good old Republicans, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Mm, mm-hmm. I hate to say it like that. I hate to seem like I don't care because I do care because we have businesses. We do things um, that are entrepreneurial. And at the same token, all I know is there's no coming back. Trayvon ain't coming back. No. Tamir ain't coming back. No. Sandra Bland's not coming back. You know, I, I think about, been thinking about Rodney King a lot. Mm-hmm. You know. He was really the symbol. I mean, 1991, that like reawakened right. what's been possible with a militarized police department right, or police force. And so that's the one thing that I've been on and I've been telling people is, you know, we've got a lot of people who've been apologizing for, you know, those who are attacking police officers, cussing out police officers, this and that. And my thing is this, look, it's not the cop in the uniform mm-hmm. so much as the system. Right. Of oppression that law enforcement has brought on that has caused this. Exactly. Because law enforcement originally, why why did it exist? Why did police departments, if you go back to the essence and origin, right. they were the ones who were capturing slaves. Exactly. Definitely. So that's, that's their origin. Their origin was to capture us. Their origin was against us in the first place. Yeah. They enforced the mm-hmm. laws of Jim Crow, different things that allowed in this country anyway, for the capture of men and women and children to bring them back into slavery 
as that um, the emancipation happened, those forces were then used to um, enforce the black codes mm-hmm. that would not allow us to move forward from a life of, of being detained, being enslaved as chattel. Right. Right. So, yeah. So we got a long history with law enforcement that represents a system of oppression for a legislature that passes laws that allows them to do what they do. Exactly. When someone is in the face of an officer and they are upset, I get it. Mm-hmm. And I ain't mad at them. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we saw a bunch of white folks with guns. With guns. Storm state house buildings mm-hmm. and yell in the face of law enforcement. But they were peaceful and they had a right. Yep. And that's what is so damaging to us mm-hmm. in America. Like, and that that's just what I think about is how we can't even say, but they did it. No, we can't. And we can't. it just takes me back to uh, understanding the Dred Scott case in that case where, you know, the judge really reiterated to Dred Scott that, the laws pertain to those considered Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever get a chance, read Dred Scott, the response to the, uh, it's not what it seems. The uh, judge in that case was using artful language. It seemed harsh to let him know that the only way that justice will come to him is if he is, if he u- utilizes the law the right way. Right. So, I'll let you do that on your own diamond time. I won't educate people on that right now. And, and you know, just thinking about all this and thinking about law enfor- enforcement and everything and how it could be used almost like a customer service um, to others. But for us, you know, it's not. You nope. know, there we, we know. Unfortunately, we have to raise our children to not... Um, to avoid the police. Yeah. We have to raise our children that they're not your friend. Yep. We have to. Because we can't let them have their guard down and think that they're not seen as the enemy by those in blue. And, you know, it, the Sunday night, I think it was Sunday night, or Saturday night, it was just, I was just so heavy. Just so heavy. Mm-hmm. Putting Jordan to sleep and just, like, thinking about my son and so since he's been born, it's like when he was in the NICU, it wasn't a day that a new a nurse wouldn't say, oh, he's so handsome. He's mm-hmm. so cute. He's so handsome. Mm-hmm. And many times I think as a black mother, you look at my black son and you say that he's so handsome now. Right. But when he becomes a grown man, he's a threat. Not even a grown man. Not it, even grown man. Because like you look at threshold of adolescence, about 10, 11, 12. Yeah, when exactly. Does he go from being all so cute to oh right. so menacing. Right, right. Exactly. And yeah, he can't even become a grown man. But at some point in time, he's gonna look he's gonna be looked at as a threat and not oh he's so cute. And there's been so many times I've almost said that to people. Just and they, you know, after moments like this, it's like I've I've wanted to say he's cute now, but one day you're gonna look at him as a threat. Yeah, it's so weird. It's almost it's almost like animation. It's almost like watching a cartoon where the babies are born, they're cute, and somehow they morph into monsters, but, mm-hmm. they, but they're not monsters. Right. It's it's so cartoonish in in that way, mm-hmm. um, and that's what's so. I don't know, man. Being black in America is heavy on the heart. And I say that they 
during the coronavirus stuff, they were really talking about the pre-existing conditions of black folks and making us um, more susceptible to dying from COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And one of the things they kept bringing up was hypertension and heart disease. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, imagine if we didn't have a lot of the stresses that comes along with living here. Right. Right. Maybe our hearts and the hypertension and the blood pressure would be a lot lower mm-hmm. because what happens to us is that from a subconscious standpoint, like we can't consciously think about this stuff every day exactly. or else we'll go crazy. We will. It'll drive us crazy. But we're already a good majority of us victims of post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. We're victims of post-traumatic stress, stress, not only because of the legal aspects, but because even in our own hoods, you know, we got, we got gangs, we got, drug addicts you know there's terrifying circumstances in certain neighborhoods mm-hmm. not all of us are living like that but then the fact of the matter is that just because you live in a fine suburb mm-hmm. d- doesn't mean that your day doesn't come where you feel harassed right you feel and i know folks living out in these fancy areas gotta be feeling it you go to the store and people wondering why you there mm-hmm. it's like the other day i had a photo shoot went out to um a place in the city called grandview out there with my homeboy, we waiting for the, the model to get there so that we could shoot. Mm-hmm. And the amount of people who gave us looks like, what are you two doing out here? Yeah. And this brand new area where some of the residential is purchased, some of it is rented. But man, you could tell the ones that were absolutely uncomfortable with our existence. Mm-hmm. Or remember the other day when we were just driving around and we went to, we were in a suburb Mm-hmm. Looking at um, some beautiful houses, and we drove through a brand new neighborhood. Yep. Just it's just a pastime that we as a family like to do, especially during the coronavirus times. We just get out and drive around the city and just see, look at houses, or mm-hmm. look at things. And we're driving through, and some of the neighbors are raving to us. Yep. And you wave to that one guy and he his i don't know if you saw it but sheree and i both saw how tight his lips are like why are they here Mm -hmm. and he he reluctantly waved back to you (laughs) reluctant his lips were so tight i thought they were going to disappear man i wish you'd have bit through them and it's just like you know so you still we we it doesn't matter if we live in in the so-called inner city or if we live in the suburbs, mm-hmm. there's no getting away from it. There isn't. And so that leads me to wondering, what what are we going to do in the midst of? You know, a lot of people have been referencing Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of the mess, there were pockets of communities, not just Tulsa, that were able to build wealth where we were able to go, mm-hmm. assimilate, do our thing. And then, of course, the race, the race wars, the rioting, the looting, where they killed our businesses, enterprises, things like that. Because mm-hmm. you don't want us to thrive with you. So when we th- thrived without you, it you was don't a problem. Us, yeah. But what are we going to do in this day and age? Or are we too far gone as a, a group and as a collective to begin thriving together? And see, that bothers me. And the reason why that statement bothers me, are we too far gone? You know, there's too much division within us, each other, for it to happen. But I feel like this, you have to start somewhere. And I believe it'll take off as a snowball effect. You got to start, you got to start with one, you got to start somewhere. So if we start, you know, we can't look at it 
as like necessarily the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. You got to take one bite at a time. So right. you start collectively, whoever's on board, just like with the Ju- July 7th, you know, of, of not spending blackout 2020, right? not spending any money. We got to start somewhere. So everybody may not be on board, mm-hmm. but for however many people are going to be on board for that, it's going to make a difference. And I think the one thing that we have to realize too, is that black people, we're not a monolith. That means that we're not, you know, um, just this one singular group. Right. Which is, is weird because it's a duality. And one fact of it, we are. Mm-hmm. But, and and I take that from like where we are right now, the Black Lives Matter, the, the protest at hand. Mm-hmm. Monolithically, you can obviously tell by our skin that we are a people. Right. But on the other side of that, we are not a monolith. So you're absolutely right. When I say, are we too far gone? I accidentally put us in that category because mm-hmm. you're right. There, there has to be a group. There has to be a remnant. There has to be some people who decide, you know what? Yeah, together, if it's 100,000 of us, mm-hmm. if it's a million of us, we can do X, Y, Z. Exactly. Because you can't, you can't pull everybody together. And I think that's one of the confusing things that when we reference and we talk about the civil rights era, um, what happened in Montgomery and Selma and all those things. Definitely. We look at it monolithically because we have access to internet and mm-hmm. all this stuff. But those were communities doing what they had to do within their pockets. Right, right. And it takes that community to do it and then another community will see it. They'll either join or they'll do it on their own accord. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it like I said, it becomes a snowball effect. Right. You got to start in others because I'm sure even back in the 50s and 60s, there were some black people who were scared to march. There were some black people who knew, oh, they're coming and they're throwing, you know, the um, the bottles with the fire into the windows and Mol- burning houses. Molotov cocktails. Right. Burning houses uh-huh. down and everything. I don't want that to happen to my family. You're going to have those that are going to be scared to step up. And what we have to do is we have to invite environments where it's like, okay, maybe you're not a frontline individual, Mm -hmm. but here's what you can do for us on the backside. Exactly. Provide meals Mm -hmm. for those who are going to be on the front lines. Right. Be ready for with first aid. Like there's some things that that there's things that there's things that you can have to figure out. And that's one thing that in in our mindset, we have to kind of understand where people are coming from. Somebody has PST. PTSD from being in a, a large crowd like that mm-hmm. where anything can happen. Right. And they can't go down. Right. And they can't be involved in the protest, but we need to empower them to uh, be able to to do something. And then, of course, we can't also be on hierarchies with each other. Mm-mm. Oh, those church people, all they want to do is pray over there. Well, maybe that's the job assigned. Hey, right. y'all pray, y'all be praying, invoke God so that, you know, we can have almighty protection mm-hmm. while some of us are on the front line. Some of us are working. Some of us are doing things and we're donating to the cause. We have to shift our, our mindset back to some sort of unity, though. Exactly. Because there's something that everyone can do. Everyone can't be the head. Everyone can't right. be at the top. Everyone can't be in the forefront. You know, just like in a building with a company, you have the CEO. Mm-hmm. 
the owner of the company, but then you have the janitor that keeps it clean, keeps the building clean. Right. There's a place and a job for everyone to do, and each job is important. Yes. Even though the janitor gets paid less than the CEO, mm-hmm. his job is just as important. Keep it clean and make sure they the toilet paper's in the bathrooms. And I think, too, for especially for all of our listeners out there who still have small children, impressionable children, right? Um, there has to be a point where we get to talking to our kids about the other options mm-hmm. besides sports and entertainment. Exactly. Exactly. The the other options. Judge. Um, making it to becoming a legislative. Prosecutors. All of that. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Doing all the. Mm-hmm. Looking at those situations as prestigious. Mm-hmm. We, we have to get to a point where we start to do this differently. Um, as much as I love the entertainers, the rappers, the athletes, stuff like that. Um. I feel that they are powerful enough to put money together to do some some good. Right. But once again, we're not a monolith. There's some guys who they just want to make their money. They grew up in poverty mm-hmm. and they want to hold on to what they got. Exactly. And it's not that they're not, not down for the cause, but they are not down enough to put up 10 out of their 100 million. Right. And for us, that seems unreasonable unreason- and outrageous. But everybody has their thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just about finding the ones who are willing. And sometimes I think about that, like if our children are athletes and, and they're some of the tops in the nation, football, basketball, when are we going to start sending our kids to HBCUs? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. The facilities are not as nice. No, we know that. And and there's that, there's that, um, there's a something going around on social media right now is another silent protest is to take our children out of the D1 sports leagues and put them in the HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, if we do, it will funnel, it will, it will funnel the money into those programs. Because people want, they'll take their dollars where the talent is. Exactly. So if the best games are happening at Hampton, mm-hmm. they're happening at Southern. Right. If they're happening at uh, North Carolina A&T. Exactly. If they're happening at Howard, if they're happening at Morehouse. If the best talent is there, the folks are going to come. They're going to come because they're going to be like, hey, did you hear about that? Oh, this that game was lit. Did you? You know, it's mm-hmm. going to travel and people are going to come. And then what are they going to be doing? What are the others going to be doing? The D1s. I mean, they, they're going to be what they're going to be. And that's the, that's the um, thing that's just been on my mind is, has integration gotten us to the point where we can't moonwalk mm-hmm. back? You know, is segregation so bad? Yes, segregation is bad in the sense of being legally sanctioned. But when we drive through suburbs, oftentimes we're looking at segregated communities with ethnicities sprinkled in there. Right. I mean, the school system is is segregated for the most part, even still. Oh, very much so. Private, you know? extremely expensive private schools that. Right. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, I know a lot of people look at the the thing with segregation is it didn't allow us to be able to have higher positions and work work in other positions. But when it comes to segregation, when you look at Tulsa 
and how it can help build up the black community, that's where it's not such a bad idea. When it's bringing us together as a people and unifying us together as a people to put yeah. our dollars back into each other, that's where it's not a bad idea. But mm. when you look at the fact that, oh, you can't become a judge and you can't become this, right. that, and the other, that's where it's bad. That's problematic. And that's that government sanction. Mm-hmm. racism and segregation and so it's almost like is it tribalism because that's that's what the world has got, gone back to in, in such a deep way it's tribalism it's something that president obama was worried about on his in his last weeks in office mm-hmm. um I, I remember reading something where he kind of alluded to the fact that he said the world wasn't ready for me yet yes and now i'm afraid that all that's going to happen is everyone's going to go back to their tribes mm-hmm and of course, Trump has really empowered the bigots to feel like, you know, it's it's oddly similar to the way we felt when President Obama was elected in 2008. You know, Jeezy drops a song, my president is black. We feel, you know, our chests are puffed out a little bit more. We feel more, we feel confirmed mm-hmm. in this nation, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Trump comes with his message and they feel confirmed. Yeah. Our confirmation was not one of revenge it wasn't it wasn't and i think that that's really what a lot of this is about the fight against equality because when you look at what happened to mr floyd mm-hmm. any human who's who looked at that it should have melted you right it should have melted you so for you to look at him and not be melted by that shows that you're so concerned about keeping your privilege and position mm-hmm. that you can't even take the human route. And that's what it's about. It's it's a threat. It's a threat to their position. And we don't want revenge. Right. And that's the thing that, like, if we wanted revenge, you think there would be more drive-bys in suburbs. Exactly. It's not a, and, and that's what it, it's not about revenge. It's just about being treated as an equal equal citizen and being treated as the humans that we are. And see, my thing is, I don't even want equality. I want equity. Because there's there's no no human aspect of anything that's equal when you when you really look at it. You can go across different countries where everybody looks alike. You can go out to China, um, Japan. There's inequalities, right? There, that's true. Wealth inequalities, mm-hmm. different things. Um, there's going to be homeless people everywhere. And I know exactly what you mean by equal because equal rights, meaning that if a white guy commits an armed robbery on his first offense and the sentence is three to five, mm-hmm. don't give the brother whose first offense on an armed robbery, very similar crime. No one was injured. Right. Only some money was taken. Right. This and that. And he gets seven to ten. Right. I know what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. But I but also I mean that but also just being looked at as humans we're not right. we're not looked as as equally humans. You're right. You're right, and that's what I find often nerve wracking about our current position as entertainers and athletes is that we are we are your heroes mm-hmm. in the bounds of those fields and courts. You know, oh, man, I'd love to get your autograph. Oh, I love your shoes, Michael Jordan, this and that. As if you're one of the good blacks. Mm-hmm. And so for our children to to try to explain to them, 
life in in and of itself is like if you go out and do something that makes you notable, people are going to love you so far because people in general are going to love you so far. They don't know you. But how odd is it to um, make it somewhere and find yourself in an odd position of being loved only so far? Right. Right. Because of the color of your skin. So an example of that. Mm-hmm. So Curtis Martin played for the New York Jets. Um, very respect. Curtis Martin is extremely smart, like mm-hmm. doctorate smart, okay. intelligent, mild mannered, Christian believer. And so I read this story last week uh, in the midst of the George Floyd situation where when he was he and his family were on Long Island. Or Staten Island, one of the two, I believe it was Long Island, looking for a place to live. Mm-hmm. And they were going through and the police harassed him and made him feel as if he was a threat. Now, you know this guy. You've probably cheered for this guy because you're probably a Jets fan or a Giants fan. Either way, you know who Curtis Martin is. Mm -hmm. He's a millionaire. He's an upstanding citizen. He's college educated. And in the midst of that, you still make him feel he's threatening this area. Right. We can't protest peacefully. No. Like Colin Kaepernick. No. Or um, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who's I call the first Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. NBA, Chris Jackson. He played at LSU with Shaq. He was the best player on the team. He became a Muslim. He decided he didn't want to honor a flag that didn't honor black people. Mm-hmm. So what he would do is he would pray during the anthem. They blackballed him out the league. Mm. He's currently in his 50s, and he's tearing up the big three. He can still play. Wow. Um. Then you have your Colin Kaepernick. You have all your your silent protesters. They didn't like that. Mm-hmm. So now when Tupac told told y'all, and I wonder if if heaven's got a ghetto, that they're gonna burn. You didn't listen, so we burned it down. Right, right. And here we are again. That's not we don't we don't like you out here screaming Black Lives Matter. So we don't want a silent we don't want silent peaceful protest, nor do we want violent protest. There's no such thing as a medium protest. This isn't a steak. Mm-mm. It's not like a medium well. You can <laughs> you can cook it to perfection. Right. You can have it have it how you want it. Mm-hmm. But a protest is a protest. It's not meant for you to be comfortable. Right. It's not meant for you for there not to be unrest. A Free protest time. is a protest. Yes, ma'am. You're you know, it. you're you're speaking out against what is not and what should be. Yes. No protest should make you. I mean, and that's like. It's not meant for you to be comfortable. As married people. If you got tired, if you if you cooked every day and we complained every time you cooked mm-hmm. and you decided not to cook. Yeah. For however long that was going to be. Yeah. That's a, a protest. We're going to be uncomfortable because mm-hmm. we're going to be either hungry or we're going to eat so much takeout that our insides are going to explode. Right. Right. There's, but but there's going to get to a point where we're going to learn. We're going to say, why well, aren't you cooking anymore? There's going to be an opportunity for dialogue. Exactly. And what I'm hoping for is when that opportunity of dialogue comes, mm-hmm. we know what we want. Right. Right. And that's the thing. Even amongst all this protest, all the protesting and everything, we have to come together mm-hmm. and have a plan. Yes, we do. There needs to be a plan. There has to be a plan. And that's where it's difficult because black people are not a monolith. 
We're not. So we don't have a spokesperson where all of us have sent every idea to and that one person can go to the government and say, boom, because even when Dr. King was doing his thing down south, you know, Malcolm X and them were antagonizing the movement of peace mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. north. Yeah. So it's not so even then there was there was no monolithic thing. All Martin Luther King, Dr. King knew to do was speak to what they were dealing with down there. Exactly. And he had the ability to do that going in talking to those folks. So mm-hmm. I mean that's the thing, man. I think it's time for us to figure out how to mobilize in our cities and figure out what we want from our state legislators. Exactly. You got to start there. As much as as exciting as the presidential election is going to be and all that stuff, that's not what's going to bring the change that we need. There's not going to be one sweeping person who's going to come in and just give us what we want. Exactly. Joe Biden will fail you that way. Obama has failed you that way. If you believe that Trump has definitely failed you that way. George Bush failed you that way. Bill Clinton failed you that way. H.W. failed you. Mm -hmm. Reagan failed you. Mm -hmm. They all failed. They all did. If you think that one person is going to come in and change the the status quo, they're not. They're not. Not at all. So, man, be informed. We got to start in our communities. We got to. We got to. Whatever that looks like. That means joining the the local urban league. And I mean flooding them to the point where we can only meet in auditoriums and stadiums. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to do, depending on the size of your city. Yeah. You know, your NAACP, which I don't know if the NAACP is as effective. I don't know. But we have to make them effective. Like, we right. can't sit back and say, well, they've been around for years. And they haven't done X, Y, Z. No, it's time for us to make them. Effective. Exactly. Maybe appoint new people. You uh, know, something. Right. Appoint new people or make sure that we have agenda pushers. But mm-hmm. there just has to be, you know, and that, and, that, and that's where I am right now in life is figuring out, you know, because we're all chasing the almighty dollar. Right. A lot of us are, you know, we're trying to make ends meet. Like, that's hard enough. It is. Trying to make ends meet is hard enough. Trying to provide is difficult in and of itself. And then you have children on top of that. And then there's the extracurriculars of trying to improve life for black folks. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's hard. It's hard. And so everybody out there who's listening to us, if you don't have children or you have extra free time, you know, get your hobbies in, do the things you love. But we need to start imagining our world the way we want it. Mm-hmm. Because guess what, white folks? We don't want revenge. We don't. Because I can tell you, if we really wanted revenge, the war would have been on. Right. Right. The war would have been on. I think it's get, gotten to a point where the war would have been on. And you guys know that what we're looking for is not blood. Mm-mm. If the tables were turned and blacks became the majority of everything, we would not redline you. We sure wouldn't. We would not steer you. There wouldn't be any steering uh, where we're trying to move all the white folks into one particular area and then not fund your loans for home improvements, things like that, like the government did to us and banks did to us. Mm -hmm. That's not our angle. No. Because black folks are spiritual people. And we understand if there's something that we understand is the universal law of what goes around comes around. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're we're very forgiving people too. We are. We are. You know, and so I think that's the one thing is, you know, if not that, my brother had a good idea. Buy us out. If you're tired of us, don't want us here, buy us out. 
Yes, because at this point, I'll happily leave. I mean, buy us out for real. You know, we'll take our talents to wherever else. Mm-hmm. And you can have all this. You can have the houses. You can have the cars. I'm shipping my car, though. <laughs> I'm shipping our cars. Like, they was buying us out. We're going to have some. We're gonna, at least we can sleep in our cars. Wow. Because I know there's fuel everywhere. Well, they got I, gas. I know my roots. I know where I'm going. Right. <laughs> so that that's the thing, man. And that's why, like, visiting Africa and stuff like that is on my bucket list. I want to go. I want to see it. I want to test it out. Dapper Dan, really, the way he spoke about Africa, man, in his book back in the 70s, made mm-hmm. me want to go. So, yeah, I want to go there. I want to yes, see it. Yes, definitely. We, we need to visit so that we can know if we need to back up somewhere. I mean, I might go and I might not come back. I might be like, baby, why did you book a one-way flight? Hmm? <laughs> I'm coming after you, bro. I'm coming after you. Simsy is not about to take my wife. Uh-uh, not Simsy. Simsy? That is my woman. You let her go? Oh, Simsy? I'll go to Ghana, Madagascar, Sierra Leone. One of my roots. One of them. Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, yeah, we've just... I don't know if you're going to like this episode or not. Quite frankly, I don't care. I We had to get this out. We, we had did. to talk about it. We did. We um, love our culture. We love our people. We love our music. We love our history. We love all that we've contributed to this nation. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what this is about. Yeah. That's what this episode is about. We stand with the protesters. We stand with the families of everyone who has been lost. I mean, everyone who's been lost to indiscriminate racial violence at the hands of those who perpetuate to be law enforcement Mm -hmm. or have been unjustly convicted, put in prison, spent years in prison because no one wanted to get it right. Right. Yeah. If you need an example of what I'm talking about, just watch when they see us. There you go. Okay. So yeah, that's what we on. We, we all about, our people, we're about everybody, but we're really about our people. This is where you draw your line in the sand. Either you're with us or against us. Mm-hmm. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. There's, there's no more room for being a moderate Asian, a moderate white person, a moderate Indian. There's no room for moderation. It's not. It's not. Because until America does right, America hasn't even seen its potential. It hasn't. America could see its potential if it would do right. And that would make America great for the first time. Yes, it would. For the first time. Right. Say that again. That would make America <laughs> great for the first time. For the first time. If you if you think that America was great at one point, it's because your privilege has given you the type of sunglasses that has covered injustice and inequities for yes. far too long. Far too long. It's time to take those glasses off. The color is rose. And you no longer need those rose-colored glasses. It's time to be real, y'all. Yeah. So that's Undivorced Whittable for today, Jack. Yes. So stay safe, you guys. Um, yes. Stay safe. Stay vigilant. Keep praying, but take action. Yes. And start figuring out in your local areas, what do we want? Mm-hmm. Because it's for our future. It's for our children. We love y'all. We love you. And we want to see you survive, and we do not want you to be a hashtag. Until next week, Undivorced Winnable. Out.